study tonight and I trust that God will touch your heart and give you something that would give you strength. So I'm opening up the word of God today and I want to thank all of you who are with us tonight online and in the building. Thank you so very much. And I'm actually going to a, a message that really touched my heart when God first showed this to me. It's about a man in the Bible that I think you're, gonna, you're going to see has some implications for us today. So without further ado, I'm going to the book of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, and I'm going to verse 21. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. To travel to Jerusalem for the Passover, that is the dream of many, many Jews. It's the desire even today of many Jews who live outside of Israel. A common phrase that I've often heard, and perhaps you've heard it too, is next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem, and it's, it's been a saying that's been among the Jewish people for many years, and it's evidence of their desire, however far they may live from Jerusalem, to be able to go, particularly to celebrate the Passover. The dedication of the Jewish people is so great that they're willing, many of them, to travel great distances to get to Jerusalem. And such is the case in our Bible story tonight. The city of Cyrene was an ancient Greek colony. It was located on the northeastern coast of present-day Libya, where a large community of Jews lived. It was a great distance from Jerusalem. As I studied, I came to the conclusion that it's somewhere plus or minus 900 miles from Cyrene to Jerusalem. And those who got to take the journey, who lived in Cyrene, it would be the journey of a lifetime, especially in biblical days. Many would never get to make the trip. Travel from Cyrene to Jerusalem was a dangerous one. It would take at least a month to get from Cyrene to Jerusalem in the days of Christ. Unpredictable weather, desert marauders, wild animals, other perilous circumstances, all had to be taken into careful consideration. For, so for Simon of Cyrene and his sons, Alexander and Rufus. Can you imagine the joy they felt when they finally saw the city walls of Jerusalem coming into view? It had been a long month or two of walking every day. And it was no small relief. And a certain sense of accomplishment. 
that Simon and his boys felt when they rounded that last curve and they saw the city of Jerusalem. But when they arrived in Jerusalem, Simon must have been bewildered because the holy city was in a huge uproar. You see, multitudes had come to Jerusalem to observe the Passover, but this time it was not a holy setting whatsoever. This time the the atmosphere was charged with disagreement and discord. People were divided and loudly disagreeing everywhere. Angry mobs were crowding the streets. Some were shouting, some cursing, others weeping bitterly. It was difficult for Simon and his sons as they tried to maneuver through the chaos, the chaos of the narrow streets of the old city of Jerusalem and and all the commotion and it was wall-to-wall people. And it soon became apparent to Simon that someone was about to be crucified. Simon the Cyrenian and his sons They struggled to squeeze through the crowd that plugged the streets. And Simon didn't see it coming. not, Not only was it a month or two journey, it took a significant amount of money. It might exhaust your life savings to make a trip from Cyrene to Jerusalem. So he had invested everything he had. He didn't see it coming. He could make no sense of the chaos. And just as he was trying to guide his sons to a place of safety, a Roman soldier suddenly pointed to him and screamed, You carry his cross. And the Bible says, And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Can you imagine the horror and the fear that ran through Simon when that soldier picked him out of a huge crowd and said, you, you're going to carry his cross. And it, it was a scary, it was not only scary, it was humiliating. He had his boys with him. He looked at his boys and then he thought, what will happen to my kids? I just brought my kids 900 miles. I've spent a fortune. We've run all the risk to get here. Only now to be commanded by this Roman soldier to carry a cross that will make me unclean to be able to go into the temple. I've come here to celebrate the Passover. But if I touch this bloody cross, and if that man, that criminal there who's about to be executed, if I touch him, I will not be allowed to enter the temple. And this is why I have spent all my money and why I've risked the lives of my sons and I. Only to find myself declared unfit to eat the Passover meal. 900 miles going back and forth in vain. You can be assured that Simon felt anger and fear. That it stirred deep within him and he wondered, 
why is, why is this happening? Why, are, why is God allowing this to happen? I came here to honor God. And now, look what has happened to me. Angry that a Roman soldier would have the authority to order him to do a such thing. And fearful of what would happen to his sons if he refused. And then Simon saw him. Jesus had been hideously and mercilessly beaten beyond recognition. His face was swollen and black and blue and bloodied. He was barely able to stand, even without the weight of the cross. The prophet prophesied and said, His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. You see, he had been beaten and bloodied and so disfigured that even a friend, a close friend, or or even a family member would have been hard-pressed to identify him. Having no choice, Simon swallowed his pride, bent down, and shouldered the cross, and he followed Jesus. I promise you, it was fear that initially moved him to obey. But I see that as, as Simon passes through the streets, the narrow streets, carrying the cross, I see that he must have marveled at the courage and the love he felt coming from this man who had been condemned to die. The hatred and the bitterness of the crowd was palpable. It was so intense you could feel it. You could feel it in the air. Imagine the surprise and wonder that Simon must have felt when Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, this blood is for you. Though the conversation between Jesus and Simon of Cyrene is not recorded, I have no doubt that it took place because Jesus always focuses on the needs of others. And even when he was in the greatest agony of mind and body, I can guarantee you that he would have been talking to those that were close to him. We know that because another conversation was recorded. And that was a large group of ladies that were crying and weeping and wailing. And he said, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For there's coming a day when the barren woman will be glad that she did not have a baby. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. He said that to a group of ladies that were following behind the cross. So I have no question whatsoever that Jesus spoke with Simon the Cyrene. Peter said, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When they hurled insults at him that day on the Via Dolorosa, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And you may be sure, as Jesus took one agonizing step after another, he was talking to Simon. 
not only with his steps, but with his words. I guarantee you that not once did Simon hear Jesus speak a bitter or hateful word. Instead, Simon witnessed with wide-eyed wonder the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. I know that at first Simon could not understand what he was witnessing. That day had brought what seemed to be just a chance encounter. Some would call it a stroke of bad luck. Others would say it was the ruination of his religious pilgrimage. But in reality, it was, in fact, the hand of God reaching to him to spare him a Christless eternity. I submit to you that Simon's plans, Simon's life, and yes, Simon's eternity were forever altered that day by a seemingly coincidental meeting. He may not have been able to participate in the Passover feast, but that day Simon of Cyrene had an encounter with the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And that encounter, I will show you how it changed his life forever. Was it just chance that Jesus was carrying his cross out of Jerusalem to the place of execution? As Simon of Cyrene happened to be coming into the city? Was it a mere coincidental circumstance that out of the large crowd of hundreds and thousands, the Roman soldiers selected Simon to carry the cross of Christ? Or did God take notice of Simon's very long trip, once in a lifetime trip, 900 mile pilgrimage? from Cyrene, the sacrifice that Simon was willing to make for the Lord to participate in a Passover with his two boys, Alexander and Rufus. I would tell you that God notices when people are hungry for him. God notices when people are thirsty for him. God notices when people are willing to sacrifice for him. I know that Simon was dumbfounded, distressed, forced to carry the cross of Christ. But what Simon thought to be a chance encounter, a traumatic experience, was in fact the grace of God reaching to Simon, reaching to Simon's family, and reaching to all who Simon was intended to influence. I don't know if you get it, but God still works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He still does things that we don't recognize as being the hand of God. And sometimes we're quick to throw up our hands and defeat and say, well, I can't believe this happened. As a result of a chance encounter, Simon became a convert of Jesus Christ. I find it so exciting when I tell you this because I got to studying and looking and I found him. I found him in a few places in the New Testament. I found him in Acts chapter 2. 
When the Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are, are not all these which speak Galilean? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia in Egypt, and listen, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene. I think you might be able to guess the names of three of those that were in attendance at the upper room from parts of Libya and Cyrene. Because I think I can safely say that because of that trip and that seemingly chance encounter and Simon carrying the cross, that something happened in the heart of Simon and his sons, Alexander and Rufus. And I can tell you that they would have been in that group at the upper room. The Bible lists Lucius of Cyrene among the prophets and the teachers in Acts chapter 13. And get this, 27 years after Simon of Cyrene's chance encounter with Jesus, on the Via Dolorosa. Paul wrote to the church at Rome 27 years later in Romans 16 and verse 13, and he says these words, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Chosen in the Lord, Rufus, handpicked by the Lord, picked by the Lord to be his very own. For you see what they thought was just a, a stroke of bad luck, uh, was Jesus Christ uh, choosing them, hand-picking them, if you will, picked by the Lord to be his very own. And so 27 years after that encounter on the Via Dolorosa, Paul writes, greet Rufus for me, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been such a mother to me. Bible historians say that is the same Rufus that was the son of Simon the Cyrene. Pardon me, but God doesn't make mistakes. God is leading your life if you allow him to do so. If you allow him to, he has a plan for your life. It is not coincidence that you are listening to this message tonight. It's not coincidence that God has led us to have a friendship. It is not coincidence that the Spirit of God has been leading you in a certain direction. Oh, hear me tonight. You're hand-picked by God. God has called you. God doesn't make mistakes. Simon of Cyrene is forever glad 
that one day he was compelled to carry the cross of Christ. And I'll tell you something else I've read from the scripture. His wife is also glad. And his son Alexander is also glad. And his son Rufus is also glad. You see, here's what the Bible says. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm going to tell a personal story, and forgive me if it's too personal. But I'm recalling right now a young lady whose name was Beth. Beth was a beautiful young lady, 18 years of age. She was an honor student, a senior at Deerger Christian Academy. I have her family members that are watching and worshiping with us tonight. So it was with great consternation and sorrow when I was advised, I'll never forget, I was at a conference in Bangor and the phone rang and they came and got me out of the congregation and I went back, went into the office and someone told me the news that Beth had been stricken with acute leukemia and was not expected to live. So my wife and I got in our car and at this particular time it was March and and the march that year was much different from the march we've had this year. There were, was a lot of snow on the ground that particular march here in Maine. And my wife and I drove to Boston to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And we visited with Beth. And we prayed. And after spending a little bit of time with her, we said goodbye and Returned and drove back to Augusta. Back in those days, it was before some of the, uh, even we didn't have some of the exits that we have now. And matter of fact, coming up from where we were then, it seems to me we had just passed the exit for Brunswick. And Topsom exit was not, either wasn't there or they had not built up any stations there. There was no gas available at the Topsom exit. We had just passed the Brunswick exit and we'd gone a little ways and I realized suddenly I am out of gas. My wife was asleep. My kids were asleep. And I reached over and tapped my wife and said, uh, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but we're going to run out of gas. I had no sooner said that, and the car coughed and sputtered, and I pulled over to the shoulder, and it was a, a cold March night. It was, it was raining, but the wind was blowing so hard, it was raining horizontally. I'll never forget that. And it was pretty cold out, and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go get help, keep the doors locked, and I'll be back as soon as I can. I put on this big navy-like overcoat. It was a big wool military naval type of overcoat. And I put it on and I began to jog down the road. I was a lot younger then. 
and I'm jogging down the shoulder and I get to a sign and if I remember right, I think it said Augusta 29 miles. At this time, it was around midnight or later and I just stopped and I think my shoulders just kind of sunk and I looked at the sign with disbelief because I had been so sleepy, I didn't realize where we were. I looked at that sign and I remember blurting out loud to whoever might be listening, hopefully God. I said, God, this is not fair. And I turned around and I began to jog back toward the car because I knew even at that age, I was not going to be able to jog 29 miles. So I jogged back to the car, told my wife what was going on. I said, I'm going to go to the state police crossover and I'm going to go off the exit and see if I can find somebody to help us. So I did. I went up across the state police crossover and came to an old farmhouse that had a mercury vapor outside light. And I approached the house and I, I'm six foot one, ladies and gentlemen. I have a long overcoat on. There's no car. It's wee hours of the morning or midnight. And as I approached the door, I put my hand up to knock and all of a sudden I just felt, don't do it. Don't you dare do it. And I literally backed away from the door. I had this ominous feeling that if I knocked on the door, they were going to shoot first and then open the door. So I just started backing away. And when I did, a brown colored vehicle, it was a sob, came down off the exit. And I said, wait, wait. And I'm waving my hands in desperation and the window rolled down and a man named Joe said, are those your kids back up on the highway? And I said, yes. He said, get in. I got in the car and Joe had been drinking in the bars in Portland. And I immediately realized that he was intoxicated. He drove me back to the car. I told my wife, he's taking me to get gas. Joe turned around and he drove southbound on the northbound lane of Interstate 95. Took me to the entrance ramp and exited. Went under the highway, got onto the southbound lane of Interstate 95. And he began to show me what a sob could do on a wet, rainy, windblown night. He was trying to help me, and I was sitting there, and I'm watching that needle get buried. And I'm realizing that this is kind of a dangerous situation. But I knew he was trying to help me, so I thought, I need to try to witness to Joe. So I said, Joe, I'm a preacher. Some things are burned indelibly into my memory. A lot of things I've forgotten, but some things I'll never forget. He looked out of the corner of his eye, and then he looked back at the road, and he said, I'm a crook. 
Well, involuntarily, my hand reached for the handle. Now, we're going at a great rate of speed. And I just slipped my hand down to the handle that would open the door. And I'm thinking, this is great. This is great. I'm wearing a suit. Preachers always wear suits. And you think that the preacher has money because he wears a suit. No. It just means he's a preacher. And so I've got a suit on, and I don't even have enough money to buy gas at the station. And Joe takes me to Brunswick. I believe it was a Cumberland Farms. And he pulled into the station, and he borrows a can. He puts gas in the can, and he pays for it. He won't let me pay for it. Takes me back to the car several miles, and it's starting to get cold in that car. My kids are getting cold. My wife's getting cold. And he stood out in the rain. It's pouring down rain. And he stood out in the rain while I put gas into that vehicle. He stood out in the rain while I went back to the car, and I turned the key, and it started. And I walked back to the back of that car, and I remember stretching my hand out. And I said, Joe, thank you. I've got to come meet your wife and your children. And I'll never forget what Joe said. He said two words, come soon. And it was then that I felt the presence of God and I realized that this was ordained of God. That what seemed to be a bad thing was really something that God wanted to use because you see Joe ran with the the bar crowd in Portland and and I rarely went to Portland and if I did it would be during the day usually but Joe would be coming back in the wee hours of the morning from Portland the only way that I would meet him would be such a meeting as what God arranged he said come soon he gave me his address I I drove out into Vassarboro. And we began having Bible studies. Some of his precious family may even be watching this service tonight. And we taught Bible studies. And that Bible study, we became friends. I baptized Joe in the name of Jesus. I baptized his wife in the name of Jesus. I baptized his two sons in the name of Jesus. I baptized his two daughters in the wonderful name of Jesus. All because of what seemed to be a chance encounter, a bad stroke of luck, running out of gas, coming back from a sad situation at Dana-Farber. But I'm telling you that God has our life in the palm of his hand. And, And even when it seems like something bad is going on, God is in charge. He knows what he's doing. We can put our trust in him. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to feel like, wow, what a a stroke of bad luck. But we can say instead, I know that the hand of God is leading my life. And though I may not understand it, I will join with Simon of Cyrene. And I will say, you know, now that I've got to walk with Jesus now that his blood has splashed upon my sandals now that he shared with me his great love and care I realized that this was the real purpose that God had me come to Jerusalem for anyhow 
There's no doubt in my mind that there's someone listening tonight that our Lord Jesus is calling you. He wants you to answer the call. It's not something that you can just listen to and, and then reach over and turn it off and go on as if nothing, nothing happened. But there is a God. He places you around the people that he wants you to listen to. He puts you even into a, an online service on a Wednesday night. And he says, I need to talk with you. There's no doubt in my mind that there's someone right now, right here, that Jesus is calling and even asking you if you will bear his cross. If you would say yes to the Lord, your life will be so blessed. Your life will change for the better. If you will say yes to God, not only will you make a difference for yourself, but you will make a difference for all those whom God intended for you to influence. I can tell you that somewhere on the hills of glory, there's a man celebrating in heaven. He's rejoicing. His name is Simon. He's got his family and he's happy and he's rejoicing because one day what seemed to be a stroke of bad luck was actually the hand of God. And tonight you're sitting in your room and you're wondering why does God allow this or why did God allow that? Let God come right now into the room where you are. Lift your hands with me and say, Jesus, I commit my life into your hands. I, I can confess to you I don't understand this. I don't know why you would allow this situation in my life. But Lord, you've never failed me. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe that there's someone listening tonight. That God has been calling for a while. I believe there's someone listening tonight that God has been reaching for you for a while. For you see, it's not what religion you belong to. It's not what the name is over the door of the church where you have gone. And some of you may not be going anywhere. But what does matter is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ According to that good book, the Word of God, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if it is, and you may be going through something tonight, God doesn't always explain to us why this or why that. He just wants us to trust Him. I'm learning 
Father, I know you're talking to somebody tonight. And I know, Lord, that you're reaching. God, it's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I pray right now for that woman. I pray for that man. I pray for that loved one, whoever it may be, in the name of Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us to draw closer to you. Help us to trust you. Lord, help us to realize that you're leading every step of the way. And now, Lord, draw that man to you. Draw that woman to you, Lord. If they don't know you in the power of the Holy Ghost, fill them with the Holy Ghost. And those who are living for you, Lord, draw us all closer. We pray in Jesus' name. I pray that God would bless you tonight and keep you and watch over you. I pray that God would give you great health. But most of all, I pray that your name 